year, Tucson Electric Power recognizes local businesses, organizations, and individuals that partner with them to preserve the environment and promote sustainability. These are forward-thinking partners who are creative and effective in their approaches to promoting greater sustainability in the Tucson community. We are spotlighting the 2020 award winners for our Go Green Award podcast series. And today we are happy to welcome our fourth awardee in this series, Wild at Heart. And with me to talk about their award is Greg Clark, the Burrowing Owl Habitat Coordinator from Wild at Heart. And I will tell you that Greg is the only one on our show in 13 years that had that title. And I'm really excited for you all to hear about their work. And Greg, it's wonderful to connect with you again. We met with you, Kelly and I spent a day up in the um, upper part of the state and we were blown away by where you have all of these owls and birds that you have rescued. So let's start with welcome. It's great to have you here. Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity to talk with you today. So it's not surprising to me at all that you won the Environmental Protection Partner Award because I think you are the embodiment of that. And what I want to tell people is there's this wonderful, I would call it a preserve, where they have the owls and house them. But Greg is your down in the dirt, get dirty, help with the burrowing owl habitats. So tell us about your work and the work of Wild at Heart. Well, Wild at Heart is trying to um, stabilize and offset uh, the damage to burrowing owl habitat and the displacement of burrowing owls by bringing burrowing owls from uh, development areas or areas where there's uh, maintenance of canals, anything that can disturb a burrowing owl burrow, uh, into the care facility with the idea that uh, we can put in artificial habitat that mimics the owl burrow, and we relocate the owls to those owl burrows. So that, in a nutshell, that's basically how our our work is done. So it's a long, it's a big deal though, because as you told us when you were, you know, guiding Kelly and I around, encroachment is really the word. I mean, Phoenix is growing like crazy, and it used to be farmland and desert and habitat for these owls. And when I was talking to you the last time, I think you were going to build little, you know, little houses for the burrowing owl in, did I make this up that you were going somewhere in New Mexico or Southern Arizona? I mean, and now you're going to Wickenburg. So you have to find places that won't immediately be encroached upon to build their little houses. Did I make that up or is that pretty accurate? <laughs> I th- I thought the the storyline that you provided is is actually very accurate and is a good summation of almost the history of the problems that burrowing owls have faced. Uh, if you start out a hundred years ago, there's desert and farmland, and the farmland is in central Arizona primarily because of the giant water projects uh, that divert uh, water from northern and eastern Arizona to Phoenix. So this irrigated land is desired by the brewing house because it concentrates the food and it also minimizes the predators. It's flat, open, they can see the predators. And it's been that way for 100 years. So uh, thousands of owls live in this 
irrigated agricultural habitat. And some of them do live in a desert and grassland, but they're actually uh, a small number and very dispersed. So when you add the growth of the Phoenix area and other metro areas in Arizona, you you begin displacing burrowing owls from this irrigated, rich farmland full of food for burrowing owls. And then, the, as you mentioned, the flip side of the coin on this is it, it's okay to conserve the population up front, but then you also have to put them someplace where they want to live. And so we do this work statewide. We try to find agricultural areas and other areas that act like uh, ag, uh, irrigated grass, like golf courses and green belts. So we put artificial burrows nearby these irrigated areas, and then we relocate the owls to uh, release tents over some of the burrows and eventually take the tents down, and then the owls are free to come and go. Oh my gosh, it's such a great story. And I, I'm just like reliving the whole thing of when we came to visit and learned more about you. So the partnership, who tells you that we're going to build out here and there's a bunch of burrowing owls, Greg, can you like get your people over here? How does it start? Do you do you work with other wildlife rescue groups? How do you know about the impending encroachment? Well, what you're describing is a community outreach and all, as well as uh, our community partners where Tucson Electric Power is an important partner in Southern Arizona. We also have other wildlife partners. There are Audubon chapters, uh, Sierra Club, and just uh, community groups that wanna help the burrowing owls. Uh, one of the community groups is the development community. So, it, it might sound like they're the bad guys in all of this, but... Oh, that's wonderful for you to highlight that. It's wonderful. <laughs> so so the, the developers uh, that have a long business history in Arizona, they know all about the burrowing owls. And Wild at Heart has worked with them for 25 years to uh, encourage them to want to save the burrowing owls, to work with Wild at Heart, and basically be one of the community partners for uh, not letting anything bad happen to the burrowing house before the development starts. And so it, it's really a community outreach on the front end and the back end. And that's really the only way that you can do this work is they see the owls are there uh, before the development starts. They contact Wild at Heart and then they work with Wild at Heart to get the owls removed. What I know, which is shocking to me, because I admit I'm I'm a wildlife nut. I'm a bird watcher. I go to Madera Canyon at least once a month. I didn't know about it until Laura Rodriguez from TEP shared it with us. And then Kelly and I were like, we're going. We are we are like going to see where you have the care facility. And I just this is the epitome. It's like the poster child for public-private partnerships. And we cannot do the show on this, but the people at the care facility, how that started, how much love and care and time and volunteer hours they give, it's like, it's just, the only part I didn't like was when they opened the freezer and I had to see what they feed the birds. <laughs> it was like, okay, let's get Gene out of here. They eat rodents, people, and that's okay, they should. So I had to see that. But to me, you're working with TEP and they help support you financially and then business 
I'm not ever painting the big bad wolf for developers. Some of them are very careful and they care about the sacred saguaros and work with a, a cactus and succulent society that was also an award winner, by the way. So what's on the horizon? Is there anything new and exciting that you want to ask about a new initiative or, you know, you get to share about Wild at Heart. What does the future hold? Well, if we just look at uh, the problems that the burrowing owl face, um, the, the research community has provided uh, several years of research from New Mexico State, the Global Owl Project, and funding from the Heritage Fund, also U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. They've all worked together to do research on the work that we've done to try to make it better for um, our work and to introduce it to the other states in the West that may not be doing relocation. Right. So we're going to continue to do more research work in 2021. That work will start with a new project. And at the same time, I'm trying to figure out how to do more uh, urban habitat relocation. That's really the one of the most exciting parts of the burrowing owl work. The owls will live in places where the public can go and see them up close. And by up close, I mean like 10 feet away, 20 feet away. You can get right up to them, and as long as you don't try to catch them or chase them, they'll just sit right there. And we have a number of sites in the Phoenix area that are like that, but we need more. The public education value of burrowing owls, both for conservation, sustainability, and just to help the burrowing owls, uh, we need to figure out how to add more sites. So one of my projects is an urban habitat project, and it's early days for that. Yeah, but that's exciting. So to me, I'm a big, I talk a lot about pollinators, and it's a walk that I walk. I don't just talk it, I walk it. And we put in a bunch of um, milkweed in our backyard and in our front yard to attract pollinators, mostly monarch butterflies, but we get hummingbirds, not not to the milkweed. But to me, this is about, does the possibility exist that there is enough in, like in a higher concentrated area where they could be there and protected? I don't think we're going to run out of land in in. in hopefully not in my lifetime, but does, is my question clear? Will you be able to, you think, identify workable space that isn't out in farmland? That's your hope? Yeah, what you're talking about is really sustainability for the burrowing owls, and it's a combination of uh, natural grassland, agriculture, and urban habitats that that are open enough and generate enough food to support the burrowing owls. I, I think all of these combinations are important. I don't think that we're ever going to run out of grassland. Instead, what will happen is uh, environmental conditions in the West during a drought reduce the amount of food in natural grassland and reduce the number of burrowing owls. And so I don't think that the burrowing owls are at risk from becoming endangered but their population is definitely declining. And the longer the drought conditions uh, persist, the lower the population becomes. And so that's important for an urban habitat project to find irrigated areas where the public can get access, 
The land's not going to be converted to something else, and the owls actually want to live there. So that's one of the ways that we will be able to work in the future to generate the land that the owls need and where they want to live. But that's a great answer, and it gives me hope. And when you think about, I'm sure you know this, Phoenix is so different from Tucson because they have the canals and a very different irrigation situation. All that will change, I know, and it is already changing, but to know that there's a focus on this and that you're working with other partnerships makes me thrilled. So is there anything else that you want to add that I didn't ask you because you have at least another minute or two to say we will give the details of your website and how to support you if you if someone is listening and says I want to support a owl preservation nonprofit there couldn't be a better one than Wild at Heart. So is there anything that I didn't mention? Well, we've danced all around the edges of uh, this urban habitat project and farmland, but the critical link is just an ordinary person in the community that knows a farmer or they know that a big giant public park someplace might be available for putting burrowing house on the edge of a big park or a big farm, the bigger the better, and that work has to go on all the time, year-round. It takes me two years to find a big owl release site. So anybody that thinks I have enough property that's (laughs) irrigated is wrong. wrong. I don't. (laughs) I don't have enough. And my husband and I, I said, we are not bird watchers. We are bird observers. And the difference to me is we don't write down the species and have all the proper name. We say, oh, look, there's a red-winged blackbird or there's a, a you know, a, a a woodpecker with red on its head. But we do go looking for birds. And we went out to Eloy where they have all of those pecan orchards. And I'm I it was fallow, so maybe it might be um, alfalfa. I don't know. It was not, you know, it was a couple of weeks ago. So places like that, I mean, we drove forever and ever and ever around Picacho Peak. And is that the type of place or does not does it not have enough irrigation? So, Picacho Peak and the pecan trees that you saw are not generally burrowing owl habitat. They want to be flat, open, and no trees. Got it. So, anything that is a gigantic open farmer's field is usually ideal burrowing owl habitat. So, a lot of people want to be able to put burrowing owls in the desert near their house. And in (laughs) southern Arizona... The, the saguaro habitat or Palo Verde mesquite habitat, ironwood, that's where the elf owl lives and the western screech owl and the, the great horn owl lives there. And burrowing owls are not going to live where the other owls live. They make a living at a burrow in the ground, and they're the only owl in the world that does that. So they have an advantage when they're in this open grassland. And some of it is native habitat, creosote flats, are a type of grassland, and there's a low density of burrowing owls that live there. And it's it's almost vanishingly small, but it's not zero. The thing of it is with relocation, the owls are already living on a farm. So if you pick them up at a farm and you take them out someplace in a creosote flat and turn them loose at nice burrows that we provide, they think that the guy that brought them there is an idiot. They don't <laughs> They don't know anything about making a living in a creosote flat. So they they want to fly to a farm. Right, right. So we have to we have to go with biology here. And over time we can figure out ways to support 
uh, burrowing owls that live in grassland, that live in these other habitats. But the owls that are the main population base, we need to move them to next to a golf course or a ball field or a green belt or a farm. That, that's the main way we do it. Now, the babies that they have, the owl babies, they disperse. And they may go to a grassland area and find a badger burrow and say, well, this is great. I think I can make a living here. I'm going to move in as a badger burrow. <laughs> so the reason why you want to stabilize the population and, and conserve the owls that are there is to support this uh, post-breeding dispersal. Baby owls, once they're juveniles and, you know, they're old enough to take off in November on their own, October, November, that's the dispersal period. Uh, they can go five miles, 50 miles, 100 miles. So by supporting these displaced owls from farmland, what we're really doing is regenerating the population for the future that will adapt to these other habitats and, and continue to keep the population high. They'll think it's their new neighborhood. Um, we are at the end of our time, and I, I just want to reflect being fully present and listening to what you said and to what I observed and to what I know about your organization. These are areas that warm my heart because it's what I call common ground. And sometimes, not as much anymore, but the climate change, climate adaptation, all of that encroachment, expansion can be contentious. And to me, this is like the poster child of working together in public-private partnerships and volunteerism and TEP funding it and the developers. And it just, it, it's, it feels as good as it did when we came up there and spent the day. So Greg, thank you so much for getting down in the dirt there and for being willing to come on the show and give my love to all of your compadres back at the care farm, care facility, sorry. Okay. Okay. And thank you very much for the opportunity. I appreciate the time that we spent together today. It was delightful. 